0: Braden, can you help me, buddy, and go grab one of the question sheets from the back table? Thanks. Thought I had one up here, but it was several other papers. Everybody else have one of the sheets, by the way. Anyone else need one? Okay. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. So, uh, any questions? First of all, questions, thoughts, additional things that came to mind from. last week's passage over the past week, Just thought that would give us opportunity to bring any of those things up if there were any. All right, going on to question one then, what is similar or different between the covenant God makes with Jacob and the one he made previously with Abraham and Isaac? Okay. Uh, explain that a little bit further, what you're thinking there. Uh, um,
1: just what I read when he's talking about the dream. Uh-huh. And isn't, isn't he talking about, isn't that where uh, uh, Abraham's house is?
0: Um, That's
1: what I would say that Sure. He's returning to the same
0: Oh, the I same see what you're saying. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when it says in verse 10, he departed from Beersheba and went toward Haran, I don't think that he was in Haran yet. Yeah. Right. And so, yes, yeah, God's given him the same, the same land that he's promised to Abraham already. Good. What else, Paul? Okay. the Okay. Uh along the I'm oh, sorry. Right. Why why would um so when God makes the covenant with Abraham in I want to say it's Genesis 15 It says um When the sun had set, it was very dark, and there appeared a smoking oven or a smoking pot and a flaming torch that passed between these two pieces. Uh, That was signifying God's presence, uh, cutting the covenant, being a part of the covenant there. Why do you think that we don't see that again in the covenants with Isaac and Jacob? Right. So what's God doing, then, when he says the same kind of thing to Isaac and Jacob that he said to Abraham? Yeah. He, he's, it's the same covenant that he's still fulfilling. He's just saying, and now I'm going to do it through you, and now I'm going to do it through you, and now I'm going to do it through you. Yes? Okay, good. So kind of the end point of the covenant is, is, is in Christ. Good. Um, any other similarities or differences that we see uh, between these covenants? I didn't spend a great deal of time on that this morning, so I just want to... Make sure we're thinking about it. Yes? Well, I was thinking with Abraham, he told them that Sarah would have find of Isaac and Rebecca. Maybe Jacob would be the sister of one thing. Right. Okay. But which wife of Jacob or concubine does the ultimate ancestor of Christ come through? Judah, who is whose son? Leah. So along the lines of the argument of whether Jacob should have also married Rachel or not, God grants the one who would be the ancestor of Christ through Leah, the one whom Jacob didn't love. It's just an interesting thing to think about. We'll talk more about that as we as we continue through the passage here. Um, And it is interesting to note, along the lines of what Kelly was saying, um, God doesn't necessarily tell Abraham at the very beginning. Uh, it's going to be through Sarah. He sort of progressively unfolds more and more information, but I think there is enough clarity at the beginning that when Abraham starts coming up with his own schemes and Sarah starts coming up with her own schemes, it's clear that they're in the wrong in what they're doing there because they were not waiting for God. Even though we'd say they waited decades, why not try something else? But they they weren't waiting for God. Um, any other any other things here with this first question that you can think of? He promises to be with them. What, what's Jacob's attitude toward the covenant? We might have a little bit of disagreement here, which would be uh, good to think through. But was Jacob being honest, supportive, agree, in agreeing with it? What's your, Jonathan? Okay. How so? Okay? Yeah?
2: Right. well, if you do this, and this, and this, and this, then you'll be my So
0: more Yeah, and I'd have to look at the Hebrew. I know in Greek, and I'm a little rusty on the Hebrew, I know in Greek there are words where it says if, and it means something more like since. I'd have to look and see if that's true of the Hebrew here. But... Even so, there does seem to be an element of him bargaining with God, right? Which would be, I think, fit with what we know of his character up to this point. And the funny thing is that when we get to th- uh, you know, three weeks from now, we'll see that God does all those things for him. Um, God, Not that God had to keep Jacob's um, expectations in order for Jacob to follow him, but God's kind of showing yeah, I can do it. You owe it to me anyway, but I can do what she said, you know? Um, So I I think it's, there does seem to be an element of his attitude where he is not, he's not fully committed to God at this point. Okay, why, why do you say that?
2: Sure. But it's like Sure. Yeah.
0: Uh, along those lines, I was just looking at first Corinthians, and I think that it is that's where I'm at with the class that I teach over at Bethany. I was thinking about the fact that Paul calls the Corinthians saints. And then we read through 1st and 2nd Corinthians, there's all sorts of issues going on. And we sometimes focus on all those issues, and are like, how could these people possibly be Christians? But Paul's point is not that they're second-class Christians or that they're not Christians. I think the fact that Paul addresses them as Christians is, you're still sinners, God's still changing you, there's still things that need to be worked on. And so I think that that's an important reminder from the perspective of Uh, Even someone like Abraham, we tend to think, well, Abraham is like the example of faith. And we looked at his life. There's a lot of points where he went wrong. And so the fact that we are not yet perfect isn't a sign that we're unbelievers necessarily. But it is a sign at the very least that we've got more growing to do. And so I don't disagree with what you're saying there, Jonathan. I do think that there is some question of at what point does he really commit to follow God? But there's also the reality that even when we have committed to follow God, there are still points when we waver in our faith. And um, that's a good thing to think about. Yes? Yeah. What do you guys think? Bender? OK, So God does make that promise to believers, so if there's a parallel between those two passages, we would argue that Jacob was at least in some at least in a very basic sense, a believer at this point. Um, what else would we say with regard to, could God keep promises to someone who is not yet a believer, anticipating that he knew that he was going to make them a believer? Yes. Is that what's going on here in this passage? Uh, not, not promises connected with salvation, but um, like God promised the Israelites, for example, I'm going to deliver you from Egypt, and not all of them truly followed him, for example, you know, something like that. Um, I do think, were you basically saying you would argue that he was a Christian, uh, not a Christian, but at least believed in God at this point? Okay, yeah. It's definitely something for us to think about. Uh, he does acknowledge who God is, verse 16, He says, how awesome is this place, verse 17, and he does covenant-keeping kinds of rituals, or at least memorial kind of rituals, that echo the things that Abraham and Isaac did. Yes? Yeah, Paul?
3: You know, in looking
1: at the
2: end of chapter 2, he is sort of reiterating what God has promised him. Sure. In a different word Yeah. You know, if you'll be with me, if you'll see me, say, back to God. Would you do that right Sure. So it's, I'm not sure if it's totally right
0: now. Right. Yeah. And, and I think it's one of those things where that parallelism is probably something important for us to keep in mind between what God has said and what Jacob is saying uh, because it's easy for us to sort of read through what we think is happening into a passage instead of letting it speak for itself. So that's a good thing to think about. So, um, I think the bottom line is, I, I agree with what you're saying, Bob. Uh, one of the questions that we always have to ask ourselves is how much fruit do we have to see to know that the person is truly following God, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah, Sander?
2: <laughs> okay.
0: Okay. And the other thing that I would probably remind us of is who ultimately evaluates if someone has believed enough? God. So there's a sense in which, like today in the church, we have to make an assessment of it for purposes of things like church membership and fellowship and those sorts of things. Um, but the reality is we could still be wrong in either direction. And so we ought to be, we should never be striving just to meet the minimum, the lowest common denominator when it comes to what following Christ looks like. And we should never have the arrogance to think just because someone looks really good on the outside that everything is perfect because think of what Jesus says to those who even perform miracles or go around his name and those sorts of things. And so, I mean, I think there's a lot of parallels between what we see in the life of Jacob and in our own lives. And so I just wanted us to think about that for a moment. Uh, Number three, why did Jacob love Rachel? Chapter 29 and verse 17. Yes. Because she was pretty. Um show of hands how many of you think that that is the most important reason to love someone I'm, Yeah, I'm trying I'm trying to get you in trouble. <laughs> so so everybody's like looking, who's watching? Right. Um I'll highlight this when we get to that point in a few weeks, but I think it's interesting that Shechem is described, if I recall correctly, with the same word in terms of his desire for Jacob's daughter Dinah, despite the fact that he's just committed a terrible sin against her. So I'm not saying that Jacob is, in the same sense, sinning against Rachel, but I would argue that... You know the Disney picture of love at first sight, or what you read in romance novels, or see on shows on TV. Um, you know the Hallmark Channel. Everything is, everything is. You just you just see them, and you know that that person's the one. And well, right, because there's the other person that comes in and <laughs> threatens to mess everything up. Right, right, right. I forgot that part. But, but, my point is this. There is something of a potential shallowness in Jacob's pursuit of Rachel. Um, Turn back for a second to where Isaac meets Rebekah. Chapter 24, verse 63. Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, camels were coming. Rebecca lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. She said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, He is my master. Then she took her veil and covered herself. The servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebecca, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. It's interesting, and there may not be any particular significance to this, but it's just something that struck my attention. Jacob, it says, loved Rachel before he, long before he married her, 14, uh, seven years and some days. Isaac, it says, loves her in connection with her becoming his wife. I, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is this what we sometimes call love simply because we feel like this is a person that we would like to be with, is not necessarily the sort of love that God calls us to, in the sense that the love that God calls us to is something that is a commitment, something that is should persist long after, humanly speaking, there are, uh, we we get to a point in life as we grow older where we are no longer what we once were. Yeah? Good and bad, right? So, so my point is this. My point is this. Yeah, my point is this. When you go to... I spend a lot of time in nursing homes. And you see people in their last days. And there is a sense of loss with aging and weakening and fading. But if our love is only tied to external things that fade with time, then it is an insufficient love. That's the point I'm trying to make, I think. So, that's part of why I... Yes. I'm not saying on the other hand that you feel like you don't want to spend any time with a person and, and so then you marry them because you know anyways, yes, Corey. Yeah. And I to Okay <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, so again I, again, I think I think that the text puts that in there to set up when the switch happens, which is what the next part of the question is. when the switch happens, it helps us understand why Jacob responds the way that he did, and also. Um, to sort of evaluate whether that was a right or a wrong response. So, how should Jacob have responded to Laban's deceit?
2: Paul? My premise has always been when I read this account that there was a deal made. Yeah. Right. But he said, you know, I want to buy, I'm, I worked for you for seven years for this red car, which happened to be your daughter. Right. And then you pull a six foot and I wake up in the morning and sit in my driveway with a blue car, and it's up to of left.
0: Yeah. That's because so the blue one would be better in first No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right.
2: Sure.
0: Yeah. But having said that... Yeah, go ahead, Sandra. Laban, you mean? Yeah. But there's also a sense in once they had been married... And and Ben as husband and wife, it was something that couldn't really be undone, right? Well, but he, okay, Millie, why did he work the seven more years? Because he uh, Rachel, yeah, he wanted he wanted Rachel, so he could have been done and gone home at that point. But the reason he stays for another seven years and then another is six years is because. He wanted Rachel, and then he has a, additional uh, working for herds and so forth. Braden? So, yeah, so, so these are some things to think about, right? Um, I would argue, based on the fact of how the story unfolds, whose side God is on for the bulk of this chapter, who is the ancestor of Jesus, and all of those sorts of things, I would argue Jacob should have, once he found out that he was married to Leah. Continue to be married to Leah and been done and not pursued Rachel. That, that's what the point that I'm trying to get to. Um, so quick point of application for today. If someone gets married today, there is, so there's the pagan idea of finding your soulmate, right? Souls divided in the ancient past that come together in the present now. Um, that's probably not what they say, but it sounded good in my head. Um, your soulmate <laughs> Your soulmate is one idea. Sometimes it's the idea of like, not maybe a soulmate, but like, here's the one. Love at first sight. You know what? What's that? You complete me. So, so what do you do? You know, on a smaller scale, and I'm not trying to minimize the fact that Jacob was cheated. And Laban took advantage of him and he had a right to be upset. That part, yes. But it's the what he did next that I want to focus on. You get married and then you find out something that you didn't know before. You find out something like this person that I married we can't have children. You find out this person that I married has some sort of debilitating disease a year, five years, ten years into your marriage. You find out there's a lot of people in this person's family that I don't like. You find out... What's that? (laughs) You find out... You find out that that person is a sinner just like you are and that two of you living in the same house provides more opportunities for you to be aware of your sinfulness and then if you have kids even more opportunities beyond that to realize how you can be sinful and selfish do do you at that point say no this didn't work out time to be done try something else There are legitimate circumstances in which marriages cannot continue. That's not my point. My point is, God's pattern, God's plan, God's ideal is you make the commitment, you stick with it, that love is a choice as much as it is a feeling. It is a series of actions as much as it is that sparkle in your eyes when you see that person. And so, Jacob When Jacob married Leah, even though he didn't mean to, she became the one for him, the only one. And had he abided by that, things probably wouldn't have been quite as miserable in his life, her life, the lives of their children, as we see the story unfold in the next however many chapters. That's the point that I'm trying to argue. And I think the text bears it out. Any, Any additional thoughts on that? bye So, let's play that out a little bit further, because I agree with you. But I think at this point, we tend to sympathize with them, where maybe we should not. Let's say, let's say, you find yourself in a marriage where you feel like you're not happy. And let's say, to use Paul's example, a pretty girl walks by at the office. A handsome guy who has skills that your husband doesn't. What then? Because the human side of us would be like, yeah, well, we, we get it. And God says, you can't do that. Paul? Yeah, but this is a whole
2: different scenario. I just worked seven years to be in agreement for this daughter. Right. And then you changed the deal without my knowledge. Okay. So it's, a, it's a little different from that perspective. And... Going down, I mean, see what happens next. And right. It wasn't just that Leah is the only one that's blessed from them. Right. They all, including the concubines, right. delivered the false sons. Yeah. False
0: but God does that in spite of. Well, I right. True. I know. I, I hear what you're saying, Corey.
1: Right. Yeah. Right.
0: So think about his own deceit of Isaac, and then I'll get to you in just a second, Jonathan. What did he stop doing? after Isaac said the voice doesn't sound right. There's a lot of irony in this situation, you know? So, again, I I hear what you're saying, Paul, and and at one level I agree with you. I just feel like God wanted Jacob to realize you are in this spot because of this thing that you did over here, and I'm teaching you a lesson, and he refused to learn the lesson, at least at that point. That, that's all I'm trying to say. So, again, we could, we could keep going round and round about this. Jonathan, do you have something to add to that? How is this so don't right. Yeah. So, obviously, that subject is an extraordinarily complex one. Um, I think it is Matthew 7. First, uh, is it Matthew 7? I'm not going to read through them for sake of time. I'm just trying to find the passage for you guys to go read later if you would like. Yeah, that one. You what? Yeah, somewhere. The passage where Jesus says, yeah, yeah, that one, 19, all right, so passages to look at in relationship to that question. Matthew 19, um, 1 Corinthians 7, and there's a passage in, I think, Leviticus that talks about the rights of the slave wife, I think those passages all have relevant bearing on God's attitude toward divorce, remarriage, and how the marriage relationship is supposed to work rights and responsibilities. Uh, So I would encourage you to read those passages, and we could certainly have another discussion on that another evening, but for sake of time, we'll move on. I'm not trying to evade the question, I'm just trying to keep us on track. So, um, irony of Laban's deceit toward Jacob, we kind of hit on this already, so we can, did you have I Yeah, Because she participated in some way. Yeah. Sure. So Think back to the story of Rebecca. It seems that she had some say in her marriage. Um, right. There's also the argument of is a woman in a culture where things were very different than they are today? Is she truly free to make her own decisions in an absolute sense, or is there some like if she had told if she had told Laban know what would have happened, kind of a thing. You know what I'm saying? So, like, that's part of why people view relationships between a boss and an inferior as inappropriate because that person has some measure of control or authority over you. Evan? I mean, but I feel like Rebecca actually did make the decision. To be sure. Yeah. And, and I'm not, yeah. Leah participates. Whatever the factors in her participation, she does participate. Someone else had a hand up Right. we you know, we one Yeah. about, a Right. And to how do that? How Yeah. and culture and all sorts of things. Yeah. Paul? Uh, I worked with uh, a gentleman
2: that I used to dismiss, with Smith, but his, uh, he had a daughter and they were they were Indian, they were Indian so they, they were arranging the marriage for her. Yeah. This was in college a year ago. And I was fast, fascinated by that. Yeah. And I said, how, how does this work? He says, well, said, he says, well actually, for, in her case, it's very beneficial or her because she's going to med school to be a doctor, and she doesn't have time for this courtship thing. So rather than, and, and it's really about it, like say, like, we go back 100, 150 years here. Right, yeah. It was very common for the father yeah. to pick out the husband for the daughter. Sure. Because who's got a better judge of it, A 18-year-old, or a father who's seen this is what this leads to and this guy's not working, no, get out of here. Yeah, <laughs> of sure. And so, so the more he talked about it, <laughs> I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense the way he's
0: Yeah, I'm not necessarily advocating to go that direction, no, but sure. yeah. Okay, I'm going to move on for sake of time, Braden, and we'll see if we can take your question in just a moment or a thought. Um, we kind of went over this this morning, number five. The names of Leah's sons indicate the sorrow that she had in Jacob's continued rejection of her and her continued hope that things were going to work out. Um, so, without answering the question, I'm just going to raise the question. If you had been Leah, and just is just one to take home and ponder, if you had been Leah... How would your perspective on God been affected by the fact that you continued to express hope and it didn't follow through? Just something to think about. We'll move on for sake of time. Um, I think that we can see clearly that Isaac and Rebekah's favoritism affected Jacob significantly. Verse, or number six, the actions of Rachel and Leah compare to the actions of Sarah with Abraham. A lot of parallels. Encourage you to look at those if you haven't already. And the outcome also has parallels. Jealousy, strife, uh, conflict between the wives of various ranks and so forth. Um, Number seven, the negotiation between Leah and Rachel, I think reveals something about Jacob's treatment of Leah. And I think that we would say, and I try to lead you to this answer, by the way I phrased the question, I think we would have to say, God's assessment was, I'm going to bless Leah because I perceive that she is being treated unjustly. Not that she was perfect, but she was innocent, at least in that case, of being the one at fault. Um, And uh, I think that God's blessing in this case was a sign of God's um, favor toward her. Number eight, why did God eventually give Rachel children? Well, I mean, that is what happens. I mean, and someone could theoretically make the argument, because she spoke badly of God at the beginning of the chapter, that was, I don't think that's the point that we would want to land on, though. Why did God eventually give Rachel children? Braden? Okay. Mike, what were you saying? Okay, Okay. It says he remembered her. So, and he gave heed to her and it opened her womb. When it says he gave heed to her, what do you think that implies? Yeah. So God is definitely, I think, making a point to Jacob, but he does not, he doesn't leave, Rachel barren forever because he does hear her prayers and there is a sense in which some of this conflict is not her fault either right Um, and so um, yeah it's just it's just one of those things that I think it's helpful for us to pause and think about. For sake of time let's move on to the application questions. What was Jacob's basic problem in his response to Leah both at the time of Laban's deceit at the wedding and afterward, what was his basic problem, Braden? He didn't want her. Okay. If we take it a step further, why didn't he want her? He deserved something else. What'd you say? Not his plan, Braden. Okay. And, we, and, yeah, we tend to assume that. All it says is that she was, that Rachel was beautiful um, of form and face. Leah's eyes were weak. That's the only thing it says about her. Her eyes were weak or gentle. There's different ways people understand the, the Hebrew word. Possibly it would be something where she needed glasses, didn't have them, maybe had a little bit of a squint, something like that. Um, but, I mean, that's all it says. In contrast, Rachel, we could say, is more beautiful. But, um, yeah, so that is, he didn't want her because she wasn't what she, he wanted. She, it didn't fit his plan. Um, all of those sorts of things that have just been mentioned. Anything else about why he responded the way that he did? Why it was... What had Jacob's attitude been toward circumstances up to this point? Read Okay. Yeah. Even before that, though, think even before that, Paul, you were gonna say something. No, he
2: just
0: made a deal. Okay. But like backing up earlier in his, backing up earlier in his life, what is it, What was his fundamental attitude toward life? He got what he wanted when, how, by his schemes. Right. It's not like she was entirely innocent. But the the reason that I point that out is this. This is maybe not the first time, but at least the first time we have recorded in the text where his plan, his scheme, his desire fails. And if that is the thing, the way that he's been living his life, and it gets frustrated, I think that's part of why we see this huge response of anger. The reason I highlight this is because what we've been talking about in Sunday School with regard to our beliefs and our desires and our actions. What did Jacob believe? Jacob believed, I can, get, I can make life work if I just scheme hard enough. Jacob wanted, in this case Rachel, the thing that he wanted, Jacob worked to try to achieve that goal. And then it was frustrated. And like in the illustration we talked about in Sunday school, the sun melts the ice, and the underlying problem is the water that's rolling down the hillside because the sun melted the ice. We see the streams of selfishness in his heart revealed in his response. Again, yes, I get the thing about Yeah.
2: Who was there then? Labor. Right. Labor was the brother. We don't hear about the father. Yeah. And I'm wondering at that time, he's thinking, oh, man, we could have gotten so much more. Could be. We <laughs> negotiate more.
0: Oh, that's an interesting thought. Yeah. Hmm. we seven years of labor it. Right. So it's to
2: think about it.
0: Yeah. Forget about labor. Yeah, it the labor. Yeah, at the earlier point, point. yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. Great.
0: That's another parallel I hadn't thought about between the two stories. Um, yeah, that's something to think about more for sure. Sandra.
1: Yeah.
0: Sure, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a, a, a good point, Harlow. Yes?
2: He was hearing me he the last one. He saw what God said to me the last one. Right. And he manipulated it, whereas had he done nothing, God would have worked out.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so then, I think that that raises an important question. Laban did what he did that was sinful, Jacob's married now to, in his mind, the wrong woman. Where's God in all of this? If God really didn't want it to happen, and we have to be careful with that line of thinking, because there are many things that God has clearly said are wrong things that God permits, orchestrates in the course of the world without being the author of sin. So we want to be careful with this. But, um, Paul makes the point, God could have stopped Isaac from blessing Jacob. God could have prevented Laban from deceiving Jacob. Do we then say, well, then it doesn't matter what we do? I mean, we might be tempted to say that. We would say no, but what we would say is, like the point I was making earlier, we have a plan, an idea of how things are supposed to go. Our responsibility before God is to obey God in this specific incident, circumstance probably is the better word, obey God in the specific circumstance in which we find ourselves, regardless of the right or wrong actions of the people around us. And that's a hard thing to do because we want to be able to say, but I don't have to because they didn't or because they did. Those are some of the the things I want us to think about what verse or Number two, I keep on saying verse. They're just questions I, I wrote down. Why should you love those around you even when they may be undeserving, humanly speaking? Yes. Good. And that's something I think we really got to wrestle with. If God loved me when I didn't deserve it, and I won't love other people when I think they don't deserve it, I'm falling far short of what God calls me to do as someone who is like him. Well a person with an image bearer too. We're all in
2: bearer with God. Okay. So if I don't like you for some reason, well I'm not likely to image bear with God. Okay.
0: Sure. And there are things I mean there's there's issues like there may be There's the difference between actual problems and perceived problems. Like, there could be an actual problem like, this person lies to me. That's something that needs to be addressed. Or there may be a perceived problem like, I don't like something about the way this person looks. And the one is something that is, yes, the person needs to deal with, and the other is something that they have no control over. I mean, how tall, how short, you know, all those sorts of things. And this kind of ties in with what James said about favoritism, right? Does the person being um, in a position to help us, is that ultimately and only due to them and their skill and their, their planning? No. So, I mean, again, we just need to think through some of those things. Last question here. And maybe this is something for us just to take home and think about but if you have an example that you would like to share, in what ways do you or could you act as though you deserve better than the family or church family that God has given to you? Bob <laughs> No that's that's helping that's helping me to realize where i fall short too so yes If someone felt like, in the context of a church, I deserve better than this, what might that look like in the things that they do? Paul? Okay. Yeah, I was thinking more of the leave one, but yeah, either one. If, if... Um,
2: right.
0: Right, yeah. Have you been saved now? Yeah, okay. Hopefully no. There
1: might be too much pride in that person. I think that they might be, maybe it could be this guy or something else
0: in the church. Sure. There's no way it would be. Yeah. What about in our families? How do we justify, as a husband, as a wife, as a child, how do we justify certain sinful words or actions because we feel like we deserve better. Do you have any examples of how that might look? Yeah, Uh, Cory, yeah. Yeah. Yeah
2: something. Okay. Okay. So of angry, you it up. Yeah. I just stop.
0: Okay. So there's two different ways that that can look. Mm-hmm. Um, how about in the ways that we use our time? How do the ways that we use our time demonstrate that we feel like we deserve something better? If, if, if I come yes. in the
2: middle of a great movie and you come in and ask me a question about what we're going to have for dinner yeah. tomorrow. Okay. And I, I'm annoyed by that because I'm in the middle of my movie. Can't you stand in the middle
0: of my movie? Yeah. Okay. Hypothetically speaking.
2: Not that that ever happened. Yet.
0: Yeah. Okay. Okay, so we can say, I, I, this is my time. This block here, mine, you can't have any of it. Why? Because I've worked hard this week, because um, I'm upset at you about this other thing that you did last week, and so if, if this is my time and, and you encroach on it, I have another reason to sort of bear a chip on my shoulder about it. Um, you did something last last night. You spent you spent 2 hours doing that thing that you like to do. So now I deserve time for me. Yeah. But we think this way why? Sometimes it's because we treat husband or wife respectively as though we're roommates in college, right? We live in the same spot. Because we can split the rent, because this person tends to buy food, so we'll have food in the fridge, and I always forget. You know, that kind of... If we treat our marriages like that, they're falling far short of what God calls us to do when he says, husbands and wife committed together, one flesh. How does this look for kids? If you feel like you deserve something different than it's in your family... What would be a way that you would show it? What would that look like? Well, you show it by your own actions of what you would Yeah. So, what are some comparisons that you could make between your family and somebody else's family that would show that you feel like you deserve something different? Okay, my family's crazy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> but my family shows love. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah Okay. Yeah. So. so They're open and Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So we do comparisons, right? Yeah. This person has this thing I don't have, and I should have that. So, I'm gonna be angry at my parents, or I'm going to be jealous of that other person. Braden, did you, have, or Mike, I think you was raising your hand. Well,
2: I just think the same thing. You know, I'd say brothers, it's just doing much better than you as far as financially or something else. Yeah. You know, you wanna think, why well, don't know, I have that? You know, my parents have sent me to college or something. Right,
1: yeah. If you look at that see how they have to protect that money, and that's God. Okay, Jim? I, I'm just thinking that it's uh uh everything that, that you're saying is contrary to what we think. We don't, you know, I don't think that way. That doesn't that doesn't happen in my family.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Hang on. I think Sandra, you have your hand up. And I think at some level we would be even willing to do it even if we never received anything
1: in return, potentially. So, um.
3: yes?
2: OK. to love others,
0: Sure. Good. Uh, one one quick point, kind of wrapping things up. Sometimes people will talk about, and it's not as popular a concept as it was, but it still comes up more than you think. They'll talk about the idea of self-esteem. If you feel good about yourself, everything in life will go better. The problem with this is, in the story that we're looking at here, when we focus on how we feel about ourselves and what we want and all those sorts of things, and we're driven by a basic selfishness, like Paul was talking about, we fail to see ourselves in light of our standing before God, which instead of then producing humility, produces a measure of pride and a sense of you ought to do this thing for me. And I think I mentioned it this morning. I know I was thinking about it, but Paul says in a bunch of places, let brotherly love continue. Oh, no man anything except to love one another Love is the fulfillment of the law. I mean at a very basic core of what the problem is in this passage. Even though the Ten Commandments aren't written yet, and all those sorts of things, God says, Love me above all else, love your neighbors yourself. And when we forget that basic summary of our responsibility in life, what God made us to do apart from anything else we might do or want to do. When we forget those things, then we behave in horrible ways to the people around us. Um, And if we're not convicted by reading a passage like this, we need to go read it a bunch more times and ask God to show us where we are being blind to our own sins. And so we'll wrap up there, close in prayer. Lord, your word says that these things were written for our examples on whom the end of the ages have come. There's a sense in which we ought to do better because we have all of this truth available to us, all of these examples, all of these admonitions, the structure of the church that you've put in place for us to gather together and be encouraged by one another and and, and the blessings that you've poured out to us in Christ. Sometimes we find ourselves yet in the same sort of sinful patterns that we observe on those in the Old Testament. Would help us to see the emptiness of doing the same thing over again that led to a wrong result because sin brings forth terrible consequences. Instead, help us to see the way that you offer of obedience. Having believed in Christ, we can now follow you. We can be different, not for the sake of being seen by others, although they will see it, but simply because that's what you've made us to do to love you to love others not to do what pleases us in ways and in times and to the extent that it pleases us Lord help us to see once more how selfish we tend to be help that drive us to our knees to open your word to confess our sins to one another Lord, to be changed ever more, step by step, to be like Christ. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.